Hey everybody, this is Tina again with Good Nurse, Bad Nurse, and I have to introduce you guys to somebody (laughs) this week. So a very special friend of mine is here. She is a nurse. She's a new grad, and now she's also the executive (laughs) business manager for Good Nurse, Bad Nurse podcast. So hello, Kira. Say hello to everyone. Hello, everyone. (laughs) Kira has come aboard to help us out here, and she is our really first paid employee, which is kind (laughs) of cool for us. She's pretty much working for peanuts, but that's pretty much all we can afford. (laughs) It's fine. (laughs) Goodness knows knows I'm not making any money, but... It's okay. I just want to keep it going and kind of keep things afloat and professional around here. And it helps, you know, we get sponsors that kind of help pay for stuff. And so what's awesome is Kira is a a really good friend of mine, but she's also very smart. She's a nurse. And so she's like the perfect person to be able to do this. And we get to spend more time together. So oh, thank you, Tina. (laughs) Welcome aboard. I know you guys are going to love her as much as I do once you get to know her and her personality because she's so much fun. And so... Without further ado, I guess we'll go ahead and get started on our episode for this week. We've got a good nurse, bad nurse type story and disturbing, really, kind of the way the whole thing unfolds. And you'll see what I'm what I'm talking about when we kind of get into the bad nurse story. The good nurse story, I guess you guys are not going to be probably surprised. This is actually March 13th when we're recording this. So by the time this releases... The content for the subject for the news story is probably going to be so outdated that it's going to be irrelevant, but I still kind of wanted to talk about it because we're going to kind of mention the coronavirus. Shocker. (laughs) I know. It seems like I should have probably said something before now, but I, it does feel like the information changes so quickly that I didn't really want to even bring it up. It's hard on a podcast like this when you pre-record. I feel bad bringing it up because I don't want to add to like the hype that the media yeah. is adding. But True. if it's accurate information, then I will like share it on my social media. But other than that, I don't want to talk about it because I don't want people freaking out if they don't need to. Yeah. And that makes sense too. Like you don't want to add to the hype. I think there maybe is sort of like a pendulum swing kind of thing going on with some of the hype because I feel like some people are going all the way the opposite direction and not taking it seriously enough. So that's scary too. So I feel like probably should say something about that. Having said that, Christine with Antidotes podcast, you guys are familiar, our longtime listeners are familiar with her because she's been on here several times to record with us and she recorded an episode of her podcast today and released it already. And I, she was gracious enough to have me on there to just sort of help her talk about it. She's the expert. I am not. I, I feel like there's so much information out there. I definitely don't have time to sit and sit down and sift through all of the information and try to figure out like what's relevant and what's not and what's accurate and what's not. So she's a really good resource. So we did that. And that's actually on our, it's on our podcast as well. Even though it's her podcast, we are releasing it on Good Nurse, Bad Nurse. Just to pick, she just wanted to make sure that the information was out there for people. And Christine is so incredibly intelligent. She's so smart. Like she knows all the ins and outs. And she's just a, a great source of information because she's very keen about using evidence-based practice. So I trust her. I always go to her whenever I have a question, especially if it's like even like personal, like if one of my family members is sick and something that I'm not familiar with or some symptom that's different and I'm a little concerned, I always reach out to her because I 
I trust her judgment. I absolutely do. So you guys want, might want to listen to that. If, if, if two weeks from now when this releases, if this is still, still an issue, you may want to just listen to that and see what Christine has to say about it. So what do you think about the coronavirus? I don't know. It's just it's so bizarre. Um, it's just interesting because I've never seen something get so much attention as to like where we're shutting like schools down. Yeah, but I don't know. I remember throughout my lifetime, there was just like the swine flu and then mm-hmm. the Ebola were like the big things that I remember, yeah. but it never impacted businesses. But at the same time, I was so young, I probably wasn't paying attention. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, the thing is, I'm a little bit, just a couple of years older than you are. And yet I honestly don't remember anything like this either. This is the first time I've ever seen anything like this in the United States where literally like Disney World is closing down. Yeah. Disney World doesn't even shut down for hurricanes, like category five hurricanes. People, I'm from Florida. The Floridians literally plan trips to Disney. (laughs) They're like, yes, it's time for Disney. (laughs) Exactly. Well, that's the thing. These things that normally would not be affected, the NBA canceling their playoff games, literally trips being canceled and all kinds of gatherings, theater, movie theaters closing, which my thing is, I 100% agree that this should be happening because as I have kind of like looked into it and sort of reading as much information as I could about it, I realized that it is important to what they were call, what they're referring to as flattening the curve, and that is to try to decrease the number of people that all get the the coronavirus at the same time, in order for the healthcare community to be able to catch up to it and to be able to prepare for the surge of people that are going to be because I don't think people realize this or maybe they just don't stop to think, but we definitely do not have an infinite amount of resources when it comes to healthcare. We don't have an infinite number of beds, an infinite number of ventilators. There there are only so many beds that we have at a hospital and only so many ventilators, only so many doctors, only so many nurses. That's that's a reality. Yeah. From my understanding, what's unique about this virus from what I've read is just how quick it's spreading and how many people will get it at one time so fast. And at first I was kind of against everyone. I thought it was kind of dramatic that things were shutting down, but then I did kind of, now I'm like on board with it because working in healthcare, we already (laughs) don't have enough staff for what we're getting. And then if all of these people get sick, we'll literally be screwed. (laughs) No, I get it. And I'm kind of like you. At first, I think I, I don't think I was thinking of it in those terms. I was thinking of it like, wait a minute, there are so many more people. We don't want people to get worried. Why are we taking these measures? But then I was yeah. like, oh, well, it's because of the the virus itself. It's it's just like spreading like wildfire. Right. It's not that the virus itself is necessarily really deadly to mass quantities of people because it's not. It can be, though, de- deadly to to many people and actually a higher percentage of people than we even really realized. And so not knowing a lot about the virus is the fact that no one had immunity to it because it is a new virus, especially in the United States. There, there was no one who had immunity to this virus. So once people come in and were exposed... It, it, it is highly contagious. So everyone starts getting sick. All of these people are going to get it at the same time, around the same time. And there's going to be such a huge surge on 
hospitals, as far as the people who are very who are highly susceptible, you know, to getting respiratory distress and that sort of thing. So, if you're immunocompromised already and you maybe you have asthma or COPD or whatever cancer, and you've been on chemotherapy for whatever reason, you are immunocompromised or you are uh, susceptible to some sort of respiratory compromise. Those are the people that are going to be in trouble when this hits and they're going to, it's going to hit them the hardest. So if it hits all of those people all at the same time, and they're all needing to go to the emergency room, that's going to put a huge strain on our healthcare resources. And that's something I just did not think about at first. And that's why it's so important that we all keep an open mind when it comes to this sort of, to this sort of thing, not panic, not like just I guess what I'm saying is like, it's not helpful to panic and overreact and just run out and do things that don't make a whole lot of sense and put put an additional strain on our resources as far as like face masks and that sort of thing that we need. But at the same time, making really good choices like washing your hands, trying to not touch your face, which I had no idea I touched my face as often as I do until I tried to not touch my face and I catch myself doing it all the time. It's crazy. I had no idea. Also, just the number of times that you have to come in contact with things that a lot of people, like door handles and and that sort of thing, you don't even, I don't know that before, I mean, I always get the flu shot and I, I, I tend to, I wash my hands when I need to, but I'm not like a germaphobe. So I don't think too much about it. But now trying to think about it, I realize how many times you actually have to come in contact, like for instance, with a door handle, because there's no other way to open the door. You know, like some doors you can like push open or you can find a way to open it, but some you have no other choice but to grab it with your hand. And I'm like, wow, I didn't realize how often this happened. So I just think in being aware of it is really important. Also not judging each other. Like I, I see a lot of judgment stuff going on, like people being critical of other people on so, on social media, maybe being critical for being too overdramatic or overreactive about it, being too critical for people not being, like just be patient with each other. We're all kind of in a journey of trying to learn about this. None of us really know anything about it. So my thing is like be patient with each other try to rather than be critical of one another, instead of if you see, if you hear someone say something or see someone say something maybe on Facebook or Instagram or something and, and it looks like misinformation, like something wrong that you know because you just verified it. For instance, like you just went to the World Health Organization and you saw that what that person said, it, this is totally contradictory. You, there, There's always a nice way to do something. A, and we talk about this a lot on this podcast, that there are nice ways of correcting things and there are are not so nice ways. We talk about that for like handoff, for example. When you're doing handoff, you definitely want to correct things. If you find something that's wrong, you don't want to just ignore it. But there's a nice way to do it and there's a not so nice way. So we like to promote the nice way on this podcast. Like be nice, educate in a nice way, in a respectful way. And I mean, I feel like I've come, it's been a journey for me. I've learned a lot. I think I started out maybe being kind of skeptical of this whole thing, thinking it was silly a little bit of of the reaction. Actually, it was a coworker for me at work. Someone at work was saying, hey, have you considered this? What you were just talking about, how if everyone gets this at the same time, the strain it puts on on healthcare. Once that this person told me this in a very nice, calm, respectful manner, not an accusatory manner like, hey, what you just said, your attitude of 
not caring or not, uh, or thinking it's not serious is silly. But like in a, hey, have you thought about this way? I was like, oh, you're right. And I saw everybody sitting at the table have the same reaction. And that guy, like it was time, his lunch was over and he got up and left. And literally the conversation was so cool because people were like, you know, he had a point. And that's what everybody was talking about. Yeah, he did have a point. That's true. I never thought of it that way. This is how you make change for good in the world is by helping each other, by helping, hey, have you considered this? Rather than criticizing each other. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, so that's what we're trying to do here, trying to be be the change that we want to see in the world. I guess we can get started on our bad nurse story for this week. So you guys, I've already been talking about Kira a little bit because they know that I've, you've been writing the show notes and I've been kind of like laughing about it because as I'm reading my show notes, I'm like, I come across stuff that's funny because Kira, you guys will probably learn she's funny. She's a very funny person. She has a very funny, witty personality. And yeah. so <laughs> she puts that in the show notes and she, I don't know if she realizes it or not, but I like, I laugh out loud sometimes when I'm reading it. I'm like, Kira is hilarious. So... We're going to get into this story, and it it is a tragic story. It's it's it, of course the Badner story. They're never fun, but they help us learn. You know, they really kind of help us learn. And this one is going to help us learn a kind of a different aspect of what can happen to people, especially in the healthcare field. Unfortunately, but this is the story of a nurse by the name of Cora Weberg, and I I hope that's how you pronounce her name. Yeah, do you think that's <laughs> I how? I think it's right. Okay. So Cora Weberg uh, was an, a nurse working in a hospital when he- health officials started investigating an outbreak. There were a couple of patients that developed hepatitis C between January and March of 2018. And this, if someone is not a an, an at-risk individual for hep C, not an IV drug user, I guess maybe they're not coming in contact with someone who has hep C, don't have any of the risk factors for someone who would be getting hep C. And then all of a sudden they get hep C. That's a red flag. That's something they're going to look into. And this happened in a very short period of time at this hospital. Both of these patients were treated at the same emergency room at Multicare Good Samaritan Hospital. Neither, like you said, neither of the patients had the typical risk factors. The thing is, the health department watches this stuff very closely. Anytime an infectious disease is comes up like that, it's reported. And there are people who it's their job to watch this sort of thing. So somebody was on it on the, in this case, and they saw, whoa, there's two people that got hep C that didn't have the risk factors. What's going on? First of all, I just want to say, Kudos to whoever that person is. This is a, mm-hmm. you know, like community. I don't know if it's a nurse. I don't know. Yeah, I know. I didn't really understand how all that worked till I took my community health nursing. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them were nurses that were just working at like the state or county health department that that was their only job to look into the different incidences that were coming up in that area. So, yeah, so it very well may have been a community health nurse that found this. Um, but whoever whoever it was, it was their job to keep an eye on this stuff. And we all know that there are times when people can just be over overworked, understaffed, that sort of thing, and things fall through the cracks. So hats off to whoever this person was that was watching it and saw that two people 
um, did uh, become positive for hep C who did not have those risk factors because that sort of was the the beginning of this domino effect that happened after afterwards. So according to the CDC, these two patients that got hep C around the same time period were both receiving opioid medications while in the ED and they were being treated by the same nurse. Yes, exactly. So they reached out to thousands of people that came into the ED around that same time period and they found out that 13 people had tested positive for hep C. Thing is, there were genetic links in the viruses of the infected patients that would indicate that they came from the same source. Did you know that this was a thing, that you could actually trace the genetic links of a particular virus like this? I didn't know that. I mean, I feel like I've learned that once upon a time, Mm -hmm. like viral DNA. I don't think I knew that like they could get down to the DNA so specifically that it would like that it's from the exact same source. I don't think, I mean, yeah, maybe at some point I knew that, but I I don't remember. I, it seemed odd to me, and I remember thinking, wow, that's that's interesting. They actually can pinpoint that and say all of these people came from the same source because yeah. there's like a DNA uh, link um, that actually, when they tested the actual hep C virus itself. So the link to Weberg was less clear. The health health department um, found that the viral material from her tests was limited and insufficient to show a conclusive genetic link to the patients, but she had some viral particles, but nothing that was strong enough that would be considered contagious. So that part of the evidence is extremely overlooked in many of the sources that are talked about in the case, because as you can imagine, if you have media that's reporting on this case, they're going to want to sensationalize the aspect of, you know, nurse injects patients with hep C because that's going to be, it's going to be more likely that people are going to click on that, you know, and be drawn to that story. Yeah. And especially with the lack of like in-depth knowledge um, down to that level of viruses, like even as nurses, like we've took certain classes, but I still can't fully explain how somebody could have certain viral particles or whatever it is and it not be contagious. But like, I understand that there is more information that maybe I don't understand, but people who's not in medical field or anything, they might, they might just see this patient had some hep C particles or whatever. And then they just see that this patient has hep C and that's like the end of story for them. Well, her defense was basically broken after she admitted to diverting narcotics and other drugs at work. So her argument was that she was diverting drugs for because she was uh, planning to attempt suicide. She said she would never use a needle that was that she had used on herself on someone else. She said she couldn't handle the job stress and deal, had been dealing with a, a recent miscarriage and that all of those, the job stress and the, the miscarriage contributed to her wanting to take her life. And then she was trying, she says she was trying to divert the drugs in order to have the opportunity to do that. She said she would drop the uh, wasted narcotics from the waste bin, take them home so she could kill herself. And 
she actually had multiple failed suicide attempts. And her attorneys say that the hospital was just using her as a scapegoat. This part of the story just honestly was heavy on my heart because they took her to criminal court. It made it seem like she intentionally infected people with hep C, weighing that on someone as intentional when she was just like a person struggling with addiction and which like obviously she needs to be held accountable for her actions, but... I don't know. In my mind, she she's not necessarily a criminal. She's somebody that's struggling and probably just made an honest mistake that was detrimental to lots of people. It's a huge deal. Hep C is it's not okay to just be spread around. But yeah. And the thing is, I don't think she knew she had Hep C. Yeah. Yeah. It did say that she had no idea. So the but I even if she didn't know, like I still. Part of me wants to give her the benefit of the doubt that she wouldn't just carelessly use a needle that she used on herself. Like that's basic cross-contamination 101 that we learn in nursing school. I think that it's very likely, just trying to give her the benefit the benefit of the doubt, I think it's very likely if she, if you can kind of take her statement at face value, if she's doing the best she could to try to just divert the medication and take those drugs and just to try to stockpile them for herself in order to be able to take her own life. The thing is, she, number one, knew that she was taking pain medication away from other patients who needed it. And the other thing is, I think that at, even if at first she knew what she was doing and kind of was clear, able to be clear-headed, at some point, if she was taking these drugs, I would say that probably her judgment had to be impaired. And she, at some point, was probably getting a little sloppy about how she was going about doing it. And she was just where she, at first, maybe wanted to be really careful and not cross-contaminate. You know, once you start getting sloppy with this sort of thing, and that's ha- that happens a lot, What I've because I've read a lot of these instances where nurses were diverting medications. What happens is at first, they're really good, they're very meticulous, and they're really good at hiding it. No one knows until they are so addicted that they don't, they lose that sense of control that they had at first. So like all of those, those keen skills that they have because they're a nurse, because they're so sharp and so smart, they start to get dull. And where they may think they're being careful, they're not. They're being sloppy. They're in a hurry. They're afraid they're going to get caught. They're cutting corners. Before you know it, she has drawn up morphine or Dilaudid out of a vial, injected herself with it, and then maybe uh, real fast drew up some saline that she then injected back into that vial with the same needle. And that's all it would take if you think about it, you know? Yeah. I, I don't know. The whole topic of like drug diversion, it just comes back to like, we know, like we have the ethical responsibility that if we know where like having these thoughts and these pressures, like that is the time to leave work because obviously she was already, her judgment was off when she wanted to stick herself with a needle and use drugs. And if I was ever, which God forbid I ever get to that, to a point where I'd want to self-medicate or whatever out of respect and just like my responsibility as a nurse, that would be the time 
to step away from the job itself to, I don't know, prevent harming other people. Well, for sure, because at some point there there was a point at which she, I, I have no doubt that once someone becomes a full-blown addict and they, they're under the control of that drug, it's very hard for them to make really good decisions and that you've got the whole mental health aspect there that you're dealing with. But there is a point in the beginning where the person is rationally making a decision, a conscious decision to take drugs from someone else. That's the point, like you said, that's the point when you have to make that decision. You have to decide, I cannot do this to someone. I'm literally taking medicine from someone else. I'm literally endangering someone's out someone else's life by working under the influence. You know, you just can't do that. You cannot justify it. I have I have family members who have substance use uh, disorder. I have, um, my brother died from complications of diabetes, diabetes type one when he was in his early 30s because he suffered from substance use disorder. And you cannot be a type one diabetic and do drugs, do IV drugs and and live very long. And he didn't. He died in his early 30s, unfortunately. So I have all the compassion in the world for these people. This patient population is one that is very near and dear to my heart. I know a lot of people listen to this podcast know that. I talk about it a lot. At the same time, you cannot justify it. You just can't. We There cannot be any room for someone who is making that initial decision if you find yourself tempted that way, you've got to stop yourself. These people are counting on us and counting on our integrity, you know? Yeah. I mean, even if it's not to the point where you're taking like the patient's drugs or even practicing under the influence, like I didn't realize until like I came into practice how much responsibility I have and how I literally am just like holding these controlled substances and it's just relied on me to be honest and for somebody who is vulnerable and in a weak place, it, it's just so easy. And if you get there and even if you're not like under the influence at work, if you like cross that boundary, that is you just need to not be a nurse for a while. It's true. And I, again, I have all the compassion in the world for someone who's, who is struggling with substance use disorder. I, I want them to get help. I want them to get better, get back on the right path. And I'm all for rehabilitation and then having, a, you know, second chances and all of those things. But at the same time, I have to be mindful of the victims here, the people who were just innocently going to the hospital for whatever was going on. And they thought they were just going to get some, you know, pain medicine and they're, they turn up getting hepatitis C. It's very serious. So, you know, while I definitely have compassion for the person who, for, I have compassion for this nurse. There's no doubt about that. I don't believe that she intentionally did this. I really don't. I know that the prosecutors, if you kind of look into the story, it almost seems like the prosecutors are acting like she did it on purpose. But I don't think that she did it on purpose. I don't think she was maliciously out to like, okay, I'm going to deliberately infect people right. with that I, It takes like an extremely evil person to be like, I'm going to wake up today and no. spread my hep C right. virus to the community. Like that is very unlikely. And that's kind of like what all of the articles and news stories made it sound to be, which is just horrible because she's already living knowing that she spread that. And that's like enough 
damage, but then to attack her character in that way is just something else. This actually isn't the first time that, well, it's not the only time that this happened. There's actually a, a recent case. A former nurse uh, was actually sentenced to 60 months in prison because she was tampering with patient drugs. And there were seven known patients that were infected with hep C because of the drug diversion. And this was in uh, Salt Salt Lake City, Utah. The nurse was Alette Nielsen. She was 53 years old. This just happened in uh, January 2020. She was a, a former emergency room nurse. She admitted she was tampering with, with controlled substances that were intended for patients, that she was diverting the drugs for her own use. She admitted that she infected seven patients with hep C, um, and that not that she did, did it on purpose, but that she was diverting the drugs for her own use, and inadvertently, that's that was the result. The thing is, part of the purpose of this podcast is to help educate people, not only people who it's, it's sort of help. It's, it's, there's a lot, lots of reasons for one thing, obviously encouraging new grads, encouraging nursing students and kind of like letting everybody know we're all in this together, that sort of thing. But also for those people who find themselves in situations where you're tempted to do something like this for whatever reason, to understand that you are most likely going to get caught. If you find yourself tempted to divert medications, chances are you're going to get caught. Like, please, like, go get help immediately. I just feel like as nurses, like, we are already, we're just different in that way. Like, (laughs) I don't know how to say this nicely, and I mean it in the most loving way. I love nurses. Nurses are my people, Mm -hmm. but we're literally all kind of screwed up. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like we'll literally be in the break room. Oh, now I'm taking this antidepressant. It's really helping me. And it's like so screwed up. We have got to be mindful of what we're struggling with and what we need. And if it's crossing that boundary to where you're going to like risk your license for a personal issue to cope with, whatever it is, uh, like out of the duty to your patients, like you, you need to stop practicing. I would hope any nurse that would do that and like go get help. Get help. Absolutely. Get help. That's the answer. Because the thing is, I think the reason what you're talking about is like in the break room, we're all just very open about the depression, the anxiety that we all deal with. Nurses are very comfortable talking to each other about these things because we all know, we all know how prevalent it is. We all know that this is something that everyone deals with. But I also think that it's not just nurses that are dealing with anxiety anxiety and depression. It's there are so many people in general, in our general society, they're dealing with it. It's just not as, they're not as comfortable maybe talking about it. I think that what we do when we talk about it is we kind of help each other be more comfortable. Like, hey, I'm dealing with this. And then we understand that medication helps these things, just like insulin helps somebody who has a problem with their pancreas, you know, as an SSRI helps someone who has a problem with serotonin levels. The thing is, the the issues of depression or anxiety, they're all things that can be treated with medication. So why not go get help? And nurses understand that, so we're more comfortable talking about it. I think that people in general in society struggle with it a lot more and aren't as comfortable talking about it. I think the more we talk about it and the more open we are, the more people will listen to it and go, actually, I, st- I struggle with that too. And they don't feel like they're so weird. They don't feel like they're so, you know, like there's something wrong with them. Like, no. We're all dealing with this together. Yeah, absolutely. I know 
it's definitely helped me just like the camaraderie. I was like worried about struggling with anxiety and certain things, but then literally everybody that that I've worked with <laughs> has had like the same issues. So it's just helped me like really be open. Yeah, because there's no reason to be ashamed of it. It's that's that's sort of old school kind of thinking, you know, that thinking of, oh, psychiatric, anything that has to do with mental health is that's weird or something to be ashamed of or something to hide. Nope. Just like you would not hide anything else that was going on with you. I mean, it can be private. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, it's a, it's a, those are private issues. I may be comfortable saying, yes, I take an antidepressant. I struggle with depression. I don't care. I don't mind telling people that. I'll tell people that all day, all day long. I don't necessarily expect everyone to be comfortable talking about that. Mm-hmm. Just like, like not everyone wants to say that they're on hypertension medication or whatever. But the thing is, I want people to be comfortable with feeling a symptom or or recognizing that they are struggling with thoughts of depression with Mm -hmm. ruminating over like, oh, this, you know, the worthlessness of life or meaningless (laughs) of life and those things, you know, if you're, if you're struggling with anything like that, recognize that it is, that's a symptom. It's a sign. Mm -hmm. It's, It's a symptom of mental, a mental health problem. It's a sign of maybe needing to go talk to your doctor about it. And maybe you need something to help you get through that difficult time. Just don't be afraid to do that. So I like to talk about it openly just because I don't want it to be something that's considered taboo, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. That's good. I think it's, it's really important. Like it all just comes down to us being mindful. For sure. If you guys are struggling with anything like that, I always try try to encourage my listeners to message me and let me know if you just let me know. I I love to hear from you. And a few weeks ago, I released an episode with Jer. She's actually a nursing student. She's like, (laughs) the girl is like a super nursing student. I don't know how in the world anybody have time to do all the stuff that she does, but she's just amazing. She's going to be a wonderful nurse. But she and I did that episode. And ever since we did the episode about maybe some of our our, child, our childhood struggles. I have gotten so many amazing emails and messages on social media from people who appreciated that so much and were like, hey, I just want to let you know how much I appreciated that because I had this kind of a childhood or this happened to me or whatever. And it just made me feel good to know other people you know, went through things like that and then everything is fine and they're normal or whatever. I mean, I would never go so far as to say I'm normal because I, (laughs) that's like the last thing I'd ever want to be. I'm like, I don't know what normal is. I don't even know if there's anything, any such thing as normal, but it's, it's, I feel like as a nurse, you learn that there's no such thing as normal. (laughs) Yeah, there really isn't. Everybody's doing their own thing. You, normal is whatever you are. It's your baseline. It's your, it's your peak level. It's like you at your best, that's normal for you. And all mm-hmm. that matters is what's normal for you, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> that's what I say. I say you do you and you be normal for you. And as long as you're at your baseline, as long as you're at where you're supposed to be and you're working at the your, the top of your level, that's where I want you to be. I don't want you trying to be somebody else's normal because that's not healthy. So I guess that's it. I mean, I don't know what happened to this poor girl. Uh, Basically, the hospital took action. President said he's that 
they're taking action as if she is the one common denominator. They sent out an apology to thousands of patients. They said, we learned one of our nurses was removing higher than normal amounts of narcotics from our dispensing system and admitting to diverting medications intended for patients. She tested positive for hepatitis C, which, yeah, she tested positive, but it still was inconclusive results. Um, But they didn't mention that. (laughs) And it says, and had treated both the patients we know are infected. Well, the sad thing is... I. I Someone like that, what happens is probably just the snowball effect of you know, dealing with mental health issues, dealing with depression, dealing with thoughts of taking your own life and life being too overwhelming. And she got caught up in that and she was trying to find a way out of it, to trying to deal with it on her own and the, the, the path that she took. I don't think that she was in a place where she could make healthy decisions and she... I don't think she was thinking about the consequences for other people. She wasn't. I don't think she considered that she was affecting other people. I think she was only thinking she was, you know, she was affecting herself. And mm-hmm. and that's it's really unfortunate. It's really sad to me. So there is an article that's sort of like a little bit of an update that says that she was arrested when she and her family members tried to leave the country, supposedly, I guess, on a a long planned vacation overseas. I mean, that does sort of sound like she might have been trying to flee the country, I guess, a little bit. But she said she was treated like a criminal. She was treated as somebody who acted irresponsibly and knowing that she was a carrier of hep C, but she wasn't. She did not know she had hep C and she felt like she was treated as though she did it intentionally. Um, she filed a lawsuit against MultiCare Health System, the owner of Good Samaritan Hospital. She also, she's facing a lawsuit from patients that she's accused of infecting. And, of course, the Department of Health did suspend her nursing license after they did an investigation. And they issued an order that was signed by her and her attorney. And the police are conducting a uh, criminal investigation. But as as of... May of 2019, she had not been charged criminally yet for it. So she may not actually have, even though she was arrested for trying to leave the country, which I, that's kind of odd, but yet she hasn't been charged criminally. I don't know if it was just like she was trying to, like, obstruction of an investigation of, of an ongoing case or what, like she's trying to flee. But she, um, I don't think she has been actually charged with anything, but she's lost her license. For sure. I hope that she has gotten the help that she needs. I don't, I, I, I feel bad for her because I don't think she intentionally did this. I really don't. And it's unfortunate because she's probably not getting the help that she needs. Yes. I, I think maybe she is now. She recognizes it now. It's out in the open, you know. The thing is, a lot of times the people like this, this is all kind of uh, in the dark. It's in the closet. She's dealing with it by herself. She's dealing with all these thoughts and these feelings by herself. She's trying to, her solution to this is to take her own life to her feel, to her depression, is to take her own life. But now it's all out in the open. So her whole family is aware that she's having these thoughts and feelings. So hopefully she is getting the help that she needs. I'm sure she feels terrible for what's happened and, and for causing the problems that she's caused for the people that have, that did get hep C. Thank goodness. Just because you get the virus hep C doesn't necessarily mean you're going to have full-blown cirrhosis and, and, and all the 
all the necessary things that go along with it, but, and there are some new medications that are out that can, can help with it. Yeah. I, I can't even imagine either like being one of those patients and just going there for treatment and having absolutely no control of what just happened to you. It is so sad. It is. I feel bad for everybody involved. I, I, you know, I, sometimes people will send emails because they don't like, like one side or the other that I tend to, that, that I take. And they'll be like, you know, I'm very disappointed in you for saying this or this, but and yeah, feel free to send me an email like that. I don't care. I mean, I, I love to hear, I love to hear your opinions. I do. I, I would rather you not necessarily just like jump ship and not ever listen again just because you disagree with me. I think it's always healthy to listen to people that you disagree with because you might disagree with me on one thing, but then we can learn from each other and definitely take the time. Even if you're going to leave and never listen to me again, please take the time just to help educate me. If you think you are right about something and I'm wrong, take a minute to just send me an email and be like, hey, I kind of disagree with something you said you know, be be at least proactive in that and kind of like spread some more knowledge if if you think I need to change. I'm very open-minded when it comes to stuff like this. So you are. I try to be anyway. I mean, you know. I feel like whenever I have an issue, you're always playing like the devil's advocate. Yeah. Like if I need to vent about something, you're like, but what if they did, they were going through blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, shut up, Tina. <laughs> yeah, Kira doesn't like that about my side. <laughs> I know. I do I guess I do that a lot. I almost do that with myself. I'm bad about doing that even with myself. Mm-hmm. I, if I'm like frustrated with a patient or frustrated with uh, a family member or something like that, I will kind of talk to myself that way. Like, yeah, I know? kind of that's kind of have to calm myself down if I get frustrated with people. Like even in traffic, yeah, yeah. maybe they had a really rough day and they got fired and they spilled their coffee. Yeah. And- I don't know. I think that's a great way of looking at things if it's possible. It's not always possible to do, to do that. You know, sometimes we're, we're just human. We can only do what we can do. But I, I think it's healthy. So if, you're, if your friend is kind of coming to you to vent, you know, if I don't think it's always the right thing to just jump on board with them every single time, 100%. I think it's healthy to help them see the other side of it if possible. Like, hey, I totally see where your frustration is coming from, but have you considered this? and let them learn from that experience so that maybe the next time they might be more patient with it in that situation. And I would hope that my friends and, and people would do the same thing for me. So you guys, um, that's what this is all about. It's why we do this. We want to try to learn from each other. So if you disagree with anything I said, just send me a message and let me know. I guess we can start talking about our, our good nurse. So it's kind of interesting, the good nurse story today. We were talking about hep C, the good nurse the good nurse story for today is a nurse who donated a piece of her liver to save her mother and now she, you know and then she's a nurse she went to their nursing school and she's helping other people she actually works for the same doctor the surgeon who did surgery on her she's working like in that same capacity i think that's kind of cool <laughs> yeah that is it must have take their relationship to the next level <laughs> <laughs> for sure so in 2014 brie milankovic donated 60% of her liver to her mother, Jeannie Milankovic. She, Jeannie had only been given months to live. And liver disease is no joke. I mean, if, if your liver fails, you don't, there's not an option. It's not like 
if your kidneys fail, you can go to dialysis, even though as painstaking as it is and horrible as it is, trying to go to a dialysis clinic three days a week and, and sit there for two, three hours. There's not really an option like that for the liver. This, when, when she's told you only have months to live, she really only has months to live. There's just not another option unless someone comes along that can be a donor. And her daughter stepped up and gave her 60% of her liver. She was actually diagnosed with the most severe form of non-alcoholic fatty liver disease in 2013. For anyone who wants to say, oh, liver disease, cirrhosis, you know, probably did it herself, probably, you know, drank too much wine in the evenings to try to unwind <laughs> from those hospital shifts. Hello. But no, this is non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. How unfortunate, you know? I always feel so bad for these patients. I know. It is awful. It's like... Your liver screwed and you didn't even get to have fun. You didn't even do it. You didn't even get to enjoy it. Yeah. It's so horrible. The transplant surgery happened at UPMC Montefiore three days after Brie graduated from nursing school. Isn't that neat? Mm -hmm. I love love these stories. I think they're just, I I just love them. That's why I love the good nurse story because I I think people kind of like being lifted up a little bit at the end and not being left in that kind of dark place, you know, that sad place. So that's what makes this so nice. Um, Years later, Brie gets to tell her story to patients. Now that she's working in this capacity, people who are needing a liver transplant, she's living out her passion as a pre-transplant coordinator for UPMC, working with the same doctor who operated on her. She's a, a living donor. And we we talk about donation, organ donation a lot on Good Nurse, Bad Nurse. I've seen too many people at the, at the hospital. I've taken care of too many people who are literally dying because they don't have the organ that they need. And so it makes me so sad. That's why I'm so passionate about it. Just watching that happen at the hospital. It's just awful. So I try to bring, bring awareness to this as much as possible, filling out your donor uh, information on your driver's license and, you know, just being a donor. Like if, if for whatever reason something happens to you, why not just let someone else use your organs? You know, you're not going to be using them. <laughs> I mean, seriously. But this person, Bree, and we've had other people, we've had actually a nurse on this podcast who was a living donor. That's even more amazing to me. She went through surgery. Surgery is no joke. Like you can have, you can be going in for an elective elective surgery and things just maybe not go just right, you know, every time. Yeah, it's just super courageous because like, don't get me wrong, I've thought about it, but I don't know if I could do it because then I'm like, oh, what if I I need it? What if, I don't know, what if something happens to me and I don't know. I feel like it's not selfish, but it's just extremely selfless to go to that extent. It's a very extreme measure to go go to. Um, it is such a selfless act. Apparently, more than 70% of a liver can be taken out, and it regenerates in eight weeks. Did you know this? No, I didn't. <sighs> That's insane. Well... Thank you, Kira, for coming on for our, the first episode. Thank you, Tina. Tuna. <laughs> Kira calls me Tuna. That's my nickname. It is. It's been really hard this entire time to call you Tina. <laughs> did you say Tina? I did. I didn't even notice it. That's funny. I had to really think about it because it's just so natural to say Tuna. <laughs> well, I'm really happy that you came on and I think we'll be doing this probably a lot more, hopefully. Uh, we'll see. <laughs> 
Well, I want to hear from you guys. You guys can go on um, Instagram at Good Nurse, Bad Nurse or Facebook at GMBN Podcast and just send me messages. You can email me at Tina at Good Nurse, Bad Nurse Podcast or you can go on our website and there's link. there is a link there. But I just like to hear your feedback. I love to hear from you guys. Just um, let me know what you're thinking. If you have any stories that you'd like to send to me from your area, from um, good nurses or bad nurses or any news or anything that's going on, I love hearing from you guys. And I also want you to remember that even if you're a bad girl or a bad boy, (laughs) be a good nurse. Damn it. Be a good nurse. (laughs) 